Our scripture reading today comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3. Not that I have already obtained this, or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Connor, and thank you, choir. Uh, can you help me thank the choir this morning? That was, I'm so, I'm so thankful for their leadership and for Bonnie and Don every week in worship uh, to be led uh, by this beautiful, wonderful choir. I was driving to work the other day, which is funny in itself because I live like right there, and uh, there in the middle of the road were three construction workers. And I noticed that they were surrounding and watching one man in an excavator put concrete into a hole. It was three guys standing around watching one guy work. Now, I'm not alone in having witnessed something like this, I can tell. Uh, it's a common thread throughout humanity. Uh, whenever there's construction equipment or a grill, a bunch of guys standing around in awe uh, of fire or heavy equipment and the work that one guy is doing. You've seen it. So anyway, I stopped my car and rolled my window down and I started watching uh, <laughs> because, because I wanted to see what was going on. And uh, actually, there were, so there were four of us watching one guy fill a hole in the road, watching the excavator lift its arm up and down. And I recall thinking to myself, there, there's something about the power and the work of an excavator, watching it work. My four-year-old nephew can tell you the same thing. <laughs> Whenever there is something at work, Adair's like, we gotta, we gotta get a video of this and send it to Scott. He's gonna love it. He loves construction machines too, like, like me. Uh, it, but it really is kind of mesmerizing. At one of my former churches, we had this beautiful plot of land next to the church, eight acres of, of grass and trees untouched. And up on the corner, there was this old farmhouse. And this farmhouse had been unlivable for some time. It had fallen apart and... For years, we've been trying to figure out, well, do we, do we fix it, uh, or is it just easier to demolish it and put something else there? So the trustees decided that it was time to get rid of it and turn that space into something for the future and for the community. Uh, the day came when I think the CAT, I think 313 GC excavator, pulled up and unloaded and made its way to the house. And similar to the guys I saw the other day, I went up to the property to watch what was going on. Actually, if I'm honest, I took a tripod and my camera uh, so I could do a, a time lapse of it later. It's fascinating. Um, sure enough, the big arm made its way into the sky and it came down on the house. And in the midst of it, I suddenly realized that next to me were two other people watching the same thing, uh, two other staff members from the church that became five and then there were 10 of us with our morning coffee at 7.30, watching an excavator destroy a house. Um, and I gotta say, it was kinda awesome to watch the power of that machine. I, I later asked the gentleman operating it, is it as fun as it looks? And he said, yes. <laughs> and the funny thing is, from, from beginning to end, it took, gosh, 20 minutes, I think, to take a house down. And it's amazing to me because it takes so long to build it but it takes almost no time to destroy it. Months and months of work, not to mention all the years that that house was lived in, the memories, 
that took place there, Christmases and first days of school, happy moments and hard times, and in 20 minutes, it's all gone on the ground. One author says it takes years to build up and it takes moments to destroy. And you could say that about a lot of things, not just buildings and structures. It's true of organizations, of businesses, of ecosystems, of families, couples, even individuals. It takes years and years for a tree to grow tall and no time, as we saw last year, to knock it to the ground. It takes years to grow a business, to get the finances in a good spot, to to get the staff environment in a healthy place. But it might take one bad day to mess it up. It takes a lifetime to build a reputation, to build trust and integrity. And it can sometimes take a moment to undo it. It is a truth in life that it is so much harder to build something up. And it is so much easier to take it down. Winston Churchill said, who, who was at one time a bricklayer, I learned earlier today, he said, to build may have to be the slow and laborious task of years to destroy can be the thoughtless act of a single day. John Wesley knew this truth. The founder of the Methodist movement never wanted to start a new church. He was always an Anglican minister. And with the Methodist movement, he simply wanted the Church of England to find renewal And to find a new fire, he wanted to build it up. And Wesley cautioned his folks to be careful when speaking ill of people and when speaking ill of the church that they were working to reform. He wanted to be a builder, not a destroyer. And he said this, we should never speak contemptuously of the church or anything pertaining to it. In some sense, it is the mother of us all who have been brought up therein. Indeed, Wesley knew that it is truly hard to build something up and way easier to destroy it. Paul, the greatest evangelist in history, the greatest church planter we've ever seen, he knew this truth. He knew how hard it was to build and how easy it was to destroy. And letter after letter in the New Testament, we see Paul writing to a church he started or helped to start, encouraging, helping, pleading, building up. It's probably something he learned from Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement. Paul knew how difficult it was to keep it going. He knew how easy it was to succumb to criticism. He knew how hard it was to build up. And in his letters, we constantly see him butting heads, arguing against people who are trying to fight, trying to tear down or distract from what the Spirit is trying to do. Then the same is true of this letter to the church in Philippi. Writing from a prison cell, Paul is attempting from a distance to build up, and he's trying to encourage these folks who are soon to be approached by those who would seek to tear down, to distract, and to take away. He begins his letter like this. Listen. I thank God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you. And I am confident that the one who began a good work in you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in faith so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. And then he begins the instruction. Then he begins the encouragement. He begins his efforts to build this church up in the face of some detractors. These are things that many of you heard. I'm sure you may not remember they're from Philippians, but he says a couple things. He starts with this. So live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you're standing firm 
in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Do everything without murmuring or arguing, but rejoice in the Lord. The whole letter of Philippians is a building up. It's an encouragement. In fact, I challenge you to read the whole book this week. It's a few pages. It's not hard. Read it. Because in a world that seeks to tear down and destroy, in a world that's constantly looking for the next thing it can target and get rid of and use an excavator to demolish, this letter is a true lesson in what it means to build someone up, to encourage, to continue in the hard work of believing in and taking part in something bigger than yourself. And Paul continues... He says, beware of those that tell you it is what you do that gains you the salvation of Jesus Christ. It's not true. Everything comes from faith in Jesus. Nothing matters compared to knowing Jesus. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And this this is when he says it. Not that I have already obtained this, or I've reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. It reminds me of the hymn we sang a few weeks ago, Amazing Love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? The message translates the verse like this. I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made, but I am well on my way reaching out for Christ who so wondrously reached out for me. That's how Paul begins the end of his letter to this church. I'm not saying I have it all together, that I have it made. I'm well on my way, though, reaching out for Christ who so wondrously reached out for who? Me. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. We sang about it earlier. As the choir, he breaks the power of canceled sin, he sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the phallus clean. His blood availed for who? For me. It's truly a place of humility and wisdom and trust to be able to say, I don't know everything, but what I do know is that Jesus has loved me, even me. So I will seek to love Jesus. Paul goes on to say, this isn't going to be easy. (laughs) Building up never is. I'm pretty sure it's going to be easier to give into the temptation of tearing down, of destroying with your words and not holding to your covenants and commitments. But let me give you a word of encouragement from a prison cell, (laughs) from a man who doesn't have it all together by any means. Continue to reach out to Christ because you may not be at the destination, but you're on the way. So whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, 
whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Not the other stuff. Don't think about your mess-ups, your mistakes. Don't dwell on the many ways you're falling short or failing in whatever way. Don't spend too much time on that. Keep on doing the good things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. We talked a little bit earlier about John Wesley's movement. It's funny that even from the beginning of the Methodist movement, Wesley was always being picked at. There were folks always trying to stop whatever he was trying to do, criticizing and tearing down. And just between us, sometimes John kind of brought it upon himself. He was a little bit hard to hang out with sometimes. His critics called him a Methodist out of spite, and he took the name and owned it. And in 1738, Wesley had failed his mission in Georgia. He was disgraced. But that same year, his heart was strangely warmed and a movement was born. He was preaching everywhere he could and telling people about Jesus. He was preaching in the open air, in the fields, at the street corners. A few years later, the critics were continuing after him. He was being slandered from many angles about this movement. People were saying things about the people they called Methodists, all while Wesley was trying to build something, this small group movement for folks who didn't yet know Jesus and for folks who wanted to grow in Jesus. And so John decided to answer his critics with a little booklet he'd written and published called The Character of a Methodist. Now, he did this to define the movement to anybody trying to take away from it or detract from the good things he was working on. But he also really just wanted to share what he meant, what he was trying to do. And I invite you to Google it, The the Character of a Methodist. There's a bunch of PDFs online. You can find it. There are 18 points in this eight-page booklet. And they're not in modern English. It's a little older English, I just want to warn you. But some of these 18 points include things like, and this is very summarized, (laughs) a Methodist loves and reads constantly the inspired word of God. A Methodist does not worry about opinions. A Methodist doesn't use fancy words to convey deep truths. We speak plainly. (laughs) A Methodist is happy in God and rejoices in God. A Methodist is humble and meek. Mild, a Methodist does that which is true and noble and good. A Methodist is one who has the love of God shed abroad in his or her heart by the Holy Ghost. A Methodist cannot speak evil of his neighbor. He or she cannot utter any unkind word of anyone. He is an encourager. She is a builder. At the very top of this little tract, at the very top of this little booklet, The very beginning of Wesley's little Methodist book is the following scripture. I want you to hear this. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. What is that? What is that verse at the very top of the character of a Methodist? It's Philippians 3.12. And it seems fitting to me that from the very beginning of this movement, this thing called Methodism, a lens by which some Christians seek to view God in deep faith and good works through grace and through community, from the very beginning when Wesley was trying to build something in the face of those tearing it down, the character of a Methodist has been in the mind of its founder and its people always under the shade of Philippians. I'm not saying that I have all this together that I haven't made, but I'm well on my way reaching out for Christ 
who has so wondrously reached out for who? For me. I ran into Mike this week, Mike McCurdy. I told you this was going to make it in, Mike, wherever you are. I ran into Mike this week, Thursday. He was bringing in some food for Mission Sunday, and we just started talking. He walked in, and I was sitting somewhere. He said, what's the word? And I was literally reading Philippians 3.12, so I just said it. And then he started talking about things he's been reading. He's been reading in the book of Samuel. We started talking about David and different parts of Scripture. And to be honest, friends, and Mike, I didn't tell you this, but at, this, at that moment, I kind of needed to talk to Mike. I just didn't know it yet. And our conversation was one that was so positive and encouraging. Trust me, if you ever need encouragement, I know a guy. <laughs> and by the end of our conversation, I just looked at him and I said, Mike, I'm really glad we just happened to run into each other today. Thank you. I needed this. <laughs> and Mike just said, well, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Build each other up? Sounds like the words from a guy who's a Methodist after John's own heart, but more than that, I believe that those are the words from a Christ follower after God's own heart. Friends, I'm not saying that I have all this, this all together, that I have it made, but I am well on my way reaching out for Christ who has so wondrously reached out for me. And in the process of being on my way, while God is bringing me closer to him, while God is shaping my life and my steps with the time I've got and the free will I've been given, I'm going to choose to be somebody like Mike, somebody like Paul, someone who builds up. And that will not always be the easiest thing. In fact, I've found it's a bit harder to build than it is to tear down. Nevertheless, I will seek to be a builder. And I invite you into that life as well. May you walk the hard road that seeks to build up, not the easy way of tearing down. May you know that Jesus has made you his own. And may you seek to make him your own, all the while with the humility that says we might not have it all together. But we do have Jesus. And friends, I think that's more than enough. Let us pray. God, I thank you for examples in our lives that remind us what it is to be a Philippians kind of Christian, to be an encourager. God, we do not have it all together, <laughs> but we are on our way. And God, I'm thankful for that, that you have called us to that way. But may we never, ever forget that it was you who reached out to us. May we know, may we understand, may we contemplate always that Jesus has made us his very own and that that is more than we could ever ask for. Amen.